Tech Writer Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 764 for the 8th of October, 2021. This week, security is becoming even more important. Using two-factor authentication is wise for any site that offers it. Microsoft enhances security by doing away with passwords, but password managers are still essential. In short circuits, if you have a slow internet connection, it might not be the service provider's fault. Modems, routers, cables, and even the computer's Ethernet adapter or Wi-Fi adapter can cause problems. In addition to passwords, as noted in this week's lead article, biometric authentication is being used more frequently. That trend will continue. In spare parts, only on the website, how much time do you spend removing junk applications from a new computer? Probably more than you should. Yet manufacturers insist on bundling unwanted bits with their new systems. A bit less than 600 days ago, before we were all aware of what would become the COVID pandemic, government agencies at all levels had security problems. Today, it's worse. And 20 years ago, many modem manufacturers had gone out of business, but Multitech persisted by developing systems for the future. Let's start with a question this week. Do you need a password manager or two-factor authentication? Well, pardon the smart-ass response, but the answer to that question is yes. Yes, you do need a password manager. Yes, you do need two-factor authentication. Maybe you've heard that Microsoft is doing away with passwords, and that's true. But don't kick your password manager to the curb just yet. And if you're already using an authenticator application, you'll probably still need that, too. Passwords have never been a good solution for security, but they're the best we had for decades. In recent years, other options have emerged. Microsoft hasn't required passwords for several years. Users could log on to a Windows computer with a password, of course, or with a PIN, but they could also log in using Windows Hello's facial recognition and a fingerprint reader if the computer had one. Microsoft Chief Information Security Officer Brent Arsenault says hackers don't break in, they log in. It's all too easy for crooks to get their eyes on users' credentials because people can be fooled into giving them away and because large numbers of people create lousy passwords. Research by Microsoft shows that 15% of people use a pet's name for password inspiration. Other common answers include family names and important dates like birthdays. This kind of information is easy for hackers to find. Two-factor authentication eliminates that risk, and a system that doesn't use passwords at all would be even better. In a way, Adobe beat Microsoft to the finish line when the company offered an Adobe Account Access app for smartphones. When you log into Creative Cloud, Adobe's website, or any other Adobe asset that requires authentication, you'll be told to go to the Authenticator app on your phone and select the number shown on the computer screen. 
The app on your phone displays several numbers, and selecting the correct one logs the user in. Microsoft is taking the operation one step further. Adobe users who don't have the app can still use a password to log in. Microsoft makes it possible to remove the password from the Microsoft account. Removing the password is optional, and you do have an option to go back to using a password if you want to. But Microsoft Corporate Vice President for Security, Compliance, and Identity, Vesu Jackal, says, I don't think you'll want to go back. Most applications and websites still use passwords, though. So adding two-factor authentication is wise if and when it's offered. Two-factor authentication is helpful for all accounts and essential for financial and health accounts. It adds an additional identifier beyond the username and password. So logging in requires an email address or username for identification, a password, and one additional component for authentication. Security experts specify three factors that can be used to prove a person's identity. Something you know, that would be a password or a PIN. Something you have, that could be a hardware key or an application on your phone. Or something you are, a fingerprint or a facial scan. So when you log into an account that has two-factor authentication, you'll need the identifier and two authentication components. The most common combinations are a password plus either an SMS phone message or an authenticator app. The SMS option is easy and relatively secure, but it does require that you be in a location where you have cellular phone service. Authenticator apps don't require phone service because the apps themselves create time-based, one-time password codes internally. You can prove this to yourself by switching your phone to airplane mode and then opening an authenticator application and watching as new codes are generated every 30 seconds. After setting up an account to use two-factor authentication, you'll be prompted for a code after you enter your username and password. Select the service that you're logging onto from the application and a code will be displayed. Click the copy icon and paste the code into the application. An authenticator app or SMS text are the best options, but two-factor authentication can use email, that's slower than SMS, certainly slower than using an authenticator app, and less secure. Unless email messages are encrypted, they are not secure. And this method also depends on the security of the email account itself. SMS text messages also aren't as secure as many people like to believe because a skilled scammer can use social engineering techniques to get your phone number assigned to the SIM card in their phone. Those who use Microsoft applications and services will like the Microsoft Authenticator's ability to eliminate passwords. It also offers time-based, one-time password codes like Authy and other Authenticator apps. Inexplicably, though, Microsoft's Authenticator doesn't have an app that can be installed on a Windows computer, so a smartphone is always necessary. Using a smartphone for authentication is essentially an updated version of the process that was referred to as out-of-band authentication several decades ago. Using that method, logging in required providing a username and sometimes a password, then waiting for a phone call at a specific phone number. That process was clumsy and it was slow, unlike today's processes that use authenticator apps and SMS messages. Adobe's app is limited to working with just Adobe accounts. 
Microsoft's app appears to be competition for apps such as Authy. That appearance is deceiving, though, because anyone who does most of their work on a desktop computer will be disappointed by the lack of a desktop app. That means that, except for Microsoft accounts, every challenge will require the use of a phone. The primary advantage Microsoft brings is the ability for those who use a Microsoft account to stop using a password to sign into Windows, Office, Outlook, and other Microsoft apps and services. Without a password, logging in can be accomplished with a single click. Microsoft introduced the process to enterprise users in March, and Jockel says nearly 100% of Microsoft employees use passwordless options to log into their corporate accounts. This option has just been made available to individuals with Microsoft accounts. So to get back to my question, do you need an authenticator or a password manager? And the answer is yes, you do both. Authenticator apps enhance security, but not all websites and applications offer two-factor authentication. So you still need a password manager in addition to an authenticator. Many two-factor authentication apps exist. My preference is Authy. It's free and it works very well. The app is available on iOS, Android, Windows, Mac, and Linux. It can be protected with a PIN or a biometric option. Authy has a secure cloud backup option to synchronize your apps across multiple devices. That also makes tokens simple to restore if you lose or replace your phone. The fact that the backup is optional lets you decide what, if any, security risks you're willing to make in favor of usability. It's run by Twilio, a reputable company that clearly outlines its security practices and updates Authy frequently. My preferred password manager is LastPass. It has versions for Windows, Mac OS, Linux, iOS, and Android, as well as extensions for most browsers. LastPass also has an authenticator app, but I have not really been tempted to replace Authy. If you'd like to find out more, read about the new Authenticator app and the option to eliminate passwords on the Microsoft Authenticator website. You'll find a link on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Also, you can find out more about other two-factor authenticators from each app's website. I have links to Authy, Duo Mobile, Google Authenticator, and LastPass Authenticator. And check out password managers on their websites. You'll find links to LastPass, Keeper, Dashlane, Bitwarden, 1Password, and Zoho Vault. If you find these podcasts useful, and I hope you do, might you consider a donation? There are no ads here, and support from listeners is the sole source of income. It's easy. Just visit the website and click the Donate button near the top of any page. You can make a one-time donation or schedule a repeating donation every month. I thank you. And so does the cat. In Short Circuits, part of the process of dropping television service from our internet service provider included increasing the internet speed from 100 megabits per second down and 10 megabits per second up to 500 down and 50 up. Speed tests routinely reported about half the expected speed, and I thought that Wide Open West simply wasn't delivering what was being promised. 
On one hand, 230 megabits per second was about a 130% increase. But on the other hand, it seemed that I wasn't getting what I was paying for. But on the other other hand, did it really matter? Uploads and downloads were clearly a lot faster. Streaming television worked well. So maybe I should just forget about it, let it go. But it did matter, and I started grumbling at the ISP. They didn't see any problems between their network operations center and the modem sitting on my desk. I had rebooted the router and the modem, but the problem persisted. One afternoon, while reading a book on an iPad, I ran the same speed test that I'd been running on the computer. The reported speeds exceeded what the ISP promised, both downlink and uplink. So it wasn't the ISP. It wasn't a problem caused by squirrels chewing the outdoor cables. We've seen that before. I did some additional tests. It wasn't the modem. It wasn't the router. So that left the Ethernet cable between the router and the computer, and the computer, as possible causes. Hmm. The 10 gigabits per second rating for a Cat6 cable connecting the computer to the router was more than adequate for 500 megabits per second, but I used a different Cat6 cable and I moved the computer from port 1 to port 5 on the router. No change. That left only the computer. Despite the fact that the built-in network adapter was rated at 1000 megabits per second in both directions, that wasn't what was being delivered. An older computer that also has an Ethernet connection to the router and all of the other devices on the network, both Ethernet and Wi-Fi, reported the advertised speeds. Both of the computers reported downlink and uplink speeds at 1000 megabits per second, but the primary computer routinely reported much lower speeds, half what was promised or less. So the problem clearly was with my primary computer. Now, I could have opened the computer's CMOS settings, confirmed that no oddball modifications were present, restored all the defaults, and updated drivers. Now, I'm reasonably sure that the only CMOS setting that has ever been changed on this computer involved the boot sequence, so I didn't bother with CMOS settings. I could have run a utility operation to confirm that the network adapter drivers were up to date, However, Windows had been updated recently to version 21H2, and Windows automatically updates drivers, so this seemed unlikely. And I decided not to investigate that, at least not right then, maybe later. I could have booted the computer from a Linux thumb drive and tested the speed to determine whether the problem was hardware or software, but I couldn't find my Linux boot thumb drive. I may make a new one and give that a try sometime. Instead, I bought a $14 Ethernet adapter with a Thunderbolt connection and plugged it into the computer's unused USB-C port. I did have to wait one day for the device to arrive, but it didn't take very long to install. The device comes with a mini CD that contains drivers for Windows XP through Windows 7, Mac OS computers, and Linux computers. If the computer doesn't have an optical disk drive, the drivers can be downloaded. But no drivers are needed for Windows 10 or 11 or for Chrome OS computers. So I skipped that step. It took more time to read the instructions than it did to install the Ethernet adapter, and reading the instructions took about 45 seconds. After plugging the adapter into the Thunderbolt port on the back of the computer, and moving the Ethernet cable from the built-in port to the adapter, I looked at the computer's screen as the device was recognized and activated. 
Total time from opening the package to success, less than two minutes. Easy. I like easy. This week's lead section covered two-factor authentication and touched on facial recognition and fingerprints, but those aren't the only biometric authenticators. Fingerprint readers are small, inexpensive, and easy to add, even to phones. Sensors that read the entire palm are larger and more expensive and therefore unlikely to be used in consumer devices. Movies often show eye scans that map the eye's retina or iris. That's an option that's still too esoteric and expensive for common use. A user can be asked to type some text for validation. That works because all users have typing patterns and characteristics. Some systems use a signature to validate a user. And then there's one more, perhaps the most secure option, the one that's far too expensive for most uses, DNA comparison. So forget that one. Voice recognition is quick and surprisingly difficult to spoof. You might think someone could just record someone's voice and use that, but our voices have innate biological characteristics that can't be fully replicated by recordings. Nuance Communications, the company that specializes in voice-to-text applications and other technologies involving spoken words, has developed a voice print algorithm that analyzes 1,000 voice parameters. These include tone, pitch, pacing, fluctuation, things like that. The process identifies the most relevant components for each voice and uses them to ensure accuracy. The technique is easier to use than most of the other biometric options. Banking applications are among the early adopters of voice identification. The most secure options, of course, are fingerprints, hand geometry, iris and retina scans. Facial recognition, voice recognition, and signatures are a little less secure, but they're all very easy to use. Analyzing keystrokes is the least secure of the options, and in some ways the most cumbersome to use. So voice recognition is getting a lot of attention. It doesn't work well in noisy environments, or if the user can't speak, but it does show a lot of promise. This is a technology that's likely to be added to security toolkits over the next few years. No authentication is needed to read spare parts. Just visit the TechBiter Worldwide website, and this week you'll find these articles. How much time do you spend removing junk applications from a new computer? Probably more than you should. Yet manufacturers insist on bundling unwanted bits with their new systems. A bit less than 600 days ago, before we were all aware of what would become the COVID pandemic, government agencies at all levels had security problems. Today, it's worse. And 20 years ago, many modem manufacturers had gone out of business, but Multitech persisted by developing systems for the future. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.